Hello, and welcome to the Sound of History podcast for two weeks in a row. It's crazy. It's a record. Uh, This is a music history podcast. We're going through the whole story of American music. I'm trying to teach it to Mika. My name's Nick. Yeah. (laughs) You got anything to add to that? I'm just thinking about how annoying that probably was for me to transform into a woo girl for like (laughs) two seconds. For half a second. Well, we have a whole spiel when you normally do about social media all that stuff but did this you say is spiel 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 whatever you want to however you want to say it okay but this is going to be a long episode so i'm going to try and get to it quickly which means we're just going to go right into mika's the host now mika is the host now um yeah man i don't know <laughs> still on a popsicle kick my tooth hurts Probably because of all the popsicles. No, it's (laughs) helping me. I'm using it as like a teething ring because my wisdom tooth is coming in. And so I'll eat a popsicle, but I'll just like put it over where the tooth is erupting. And it's like, it doesn't really help, but it's something that I can do. It makes me feel better. Okay. So just popsicles two weeks in a row. That's your segment. (laughs) (laughs) Do I have anything else (laughs) happening in my life? I don't know. I don't know either. All right. What well, is life? Popsicles. That's what life is right now. Life is popsicles. Okay. Mika no longer the host now. Yeah, don't let me talk. Well, that's not going to work. for the. That's, you're supposed to talk. This is you are co-host of this podcast. Oh. <laughs> Poor Do people. want to tell us what we talked about last week? The Beatles. S- sort of. More broadly. Hot boys. <laughs> Hot European boys. <laughs> okay. Less broadly. <laughs> More specific. Music. <laughs> Word we're looking for here is the British invasion. <laughs> so we're looking for the for first here. time ever, I actually knew what the term was. And, and I just had to say it. Well, yeah, I have to keep my image up of being That's fair. a blonde bimbo that only cares about popsicles. And hot boys. Hot <laughs> European boys. Hot European boys. Oh, God. Well, do you want to give us a brief overview, other than Hot Boys, of what the British invasion was? We um, talked about it very briefly, admittedly. Y- yeah, it's it's that, that they heard our beginnings of rock and roll, and they liked it, and they did it. <laughs> and and then America moved on, but then weren't like in touch with music enough to realize that that like England was giving us back rock and roll. And 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 suits. Everybody wore a suit. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's, that's fair. That's the best like synopsis that I've ever given. <laughs> you can't just say that's fair. Like that's you're welcome. You don't have to go back and listen to the other episode now. You should though, if you haven't heard it, get those numbers up. This is not about numbers. It's this not, is about quality but... <laughs> time. Okay. What well, I, what is this to you? It's mostly numbers. today we're talking about probably the second most famous band to come out of the british invasion the rolling stones not too long ago we saw rolling stones exhibit at the songwriters hall of fame do you remember anything from that or do you know anything about the rolling stones in general we saw their guitars um i'm pretty sure all of them some of them there was drama um it's the fair guess with any band probably and drugs that's a very fair guess 
And that's all I remember. <laughs> all right. Well, this will be fun then. But I remember like the little recording studio that they like had set up. That yeah, was cool. That was cool. I remember their like the recreation of the little house they stayed in or something. Yeah. That was cool. yeah. It was very dirty. Yeah. Michael Jagger was born in Dartford. I don't Kent. like that. What? That's his name. I don't like Michael that. Michael Jagger. That doesn't. <laughs> I mm, no. That's his name. I, that does not sit well. Well, he was born in Dartford, Kent in 1943. His father was a former gymnast who now worked as a PE teacher, and he helped popularize basketball in England. That's adorable. Which is just a random little tidbit of information. His mother was a hairdresser. Although he was kind of raised to follow in his father's footsteps, he said that he was always a singer as a kid. He said, quote, I always sang as a child. I was one of those kids who just liked to sing. Some kids sing in choirs. Others like to show off in front of the mirror. I was in the church choir, and I also loved listening to singers on the radio. I don't think showing off in front of a mirror is showing off. <laughs> I fair. think that that is a contradictory sentence. I mean, unless you just like showing off to yourself. If you're very That's not showing off. heavy ego and you want to prove to yourself how great you are. In primary school, Michael was in the same class as another kid named Keith Richards, and they were friends up until Mick's family moved a few miles away in 1954, and Mick started attending a different school. How did he get that nickname? I'm just short for Michael, probably. I don't know. When? when? Since when? Uh, at least 1943. Are there other Mick's? <laughs> probably. Mick Taylor. Who's that? I don't know. I... List of Nicks. Google it. Too off the rails. Mick, Mick Taylor was also an English musician. So it's it's a musician thing. I think he was also in the Rolling Stones. Yeah, he what? was. <laughs> what? Yeah. What? I don't, I don't think he was a founding member. He was in there from 1969 to 1974. Anyway, so I guess it's just in English shorthand for Michael. I mean, it makes more sense than Bob for Robert. And that's common these days. Or Dick for Richard. At List least of there's famous people named Mick. At least there's three of the right letters in there. Mick Jagger. Mick Shoemaker. Oh, yeah. I know him. Cool. He's he's a race car driver. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mick Foley. Oh, yeah. He's a wrestler. Yep. Mick Mars. That's just a candy bar. No, it's an American musician, and he looks like Jane Fonda. Okay. All right. Are you ready to move back into Mick Jagger? I think it's funny that like him and Keith were friends, and then they moved a few miles away, and it's just like, well, can't be friends with him anymore. <laughs> like, oh, I missed that because I was thinking about Mick. Yeah, they were in the same class in primary school, like elementary school, and then moved away like he moved just a few miles away kind of same city just a few miles away and it's like back before cell phones and stuff it's like yeah that's just kind of like you're gone now yep. you're out of my life Goodbye forever. i don't think they were like best friends or anything they just kind of knew each other um mick is the 87th uh most popular baby name in the netherlands in 2020 interesting all right well Mick and Keith, after Mick moved away and started going to a different school, basically completely lost touch for a couple years. They didn't like they 
fell out of each other's lives. During that time, Mick started that sounds so romantic. Mick started falling in love with American blues music, which started with Little Richard. Mick was always a pretty good student, which is kind of surprising, and was very popular in his school, which is not surprising. At age 14, he got his first guitar and started collecting blues records from people like uh, Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf, which are both people that we've talked about before on this podcast, so go back and listen to their episodes. No. Maybe I got this wrong. Hold on. Is Mick Taylor a person or did I get his name No, wrong? I just found him on my list of Mick's. Okay, because we're about to talk about Dick Taylor. S- shut <laughs> the front door. He and his friend Dick Taylor started a band called the L- hell? Little Boy Blue and the Blue Boys. That's horrible. So really just going all out on that blue zone. Oh my God. <laughs> Little Boy Blue and the Blue Boys. They might as well paint all of their body blue. Be the Blue Man group. Exactly. They're the Blue Boy group. Mm. In 1961, Mick was accepted to the London School of Economics, where he was going to study accounting. Interesting. (laughs) He was a good student, which is, I don't know, that surprised me. Meanwhile, Keith Richards was also born in Dartford, Kent in 1943. So we're backtracking to when he was born now. Because this was where I struggled with with this. We don't often talk about groups. If you go back through, we normally talk about like a singer or something. Like this is one of the first bands we're talking about, besides maybe the Temptations. So I felt like I should give the origin story of like each significant member in the band. So now we're going back to Keith. Okay. I just wanted to explain my thought process. Can next time can you give me a heads up before we go back to someone else? Okay. You promise? Yeah. Okay. I'll, I mean, I'll try. It'll just come up in the script. And okay. You got to remember. Okay. I think it's a while before we do that. Okay. Don't forget. Meanwhile, Keith Richards was also born in Dartford, Kent in 1943. He was the only son of a socialist factory worker. His grandfather toured England in a big jazz band, and that same grandfather helped foster Keith's interest in the guitar from a very early age. Apparently, his grandfather put a guitar on a shelf out of reach and said if Keith could reach it, he'd get it for him. Oh, my gosh. So Keith pulled out all of the stops. He stacked boxes and cushions and eventually grabbed the guitar. Milk crate challenge. (laughs) His grandfather then taught him rudimentary chords and his first song, which Keith played to death. Must have been so annoying to just hear that song over and over. Yes. Soon, he started teaching himself using jazz records from people like Duke Ellington, Louis Armstrong, and Billie Holiday. What song did you play over and over again as a kid? Amazing Grace, probably. That's so boring. I mean, I took maybe three guitar lessons before I stopped. I didn't know a lot. And Amazing Grace is what they taught you, a child? Yeah, but also, I was being taught by a slightly older child, so <laughs> they weren't like a guitar teacher. I was getting taught by one of my older brother's friends who kind of knew how to play the guitar, and my parents paid him like 15 bucks to teach me once a week. That's adorable. So he's four years older than me, not great at guitar, and trying to just figure it out. So. taught you Amazing Grace. I mean, it was just like three chords that we played to the tune of Amazing Grace. Mm. Mine was under the sea on the recorder because I had a Disney hits songbook <laughs> nice. for the recorder. Fun. That I perfected. <laughs> I'm sure you did. It was great. In 1959, 
Keith Richards was expelled from his school for truancy, which makes more sense. I don't know what that means. Just not showing up. Oh. And enrolled in a new school where he met Dick Taylor, the guy that Mick had started a band with. At this new school, he spent more time playing the guitar than studying and had learned all of Chuck Berry's solos by this point. So he's he's about what I would have expected. Like yeah. Keith is over here being a good student going to accounting school. Or no, I mean, Mick is being a good student going to accounting school and Keith is like, I'm just playing guitar. I don't care about school. Which is what I'd expect. In 1961, Keith Richards was on his way back to Sidcup Art College where he was studying graphic design when he saw Mick Jagger on the same train platform with a stack of records by Muddy Waters, Little Richard and Bo Diddley, under his arm. The two struck up a conversation based on their love of those records and realized that they had a mutual friend in Dick Taylor. And that's Not how... Not that they were old friends? Nope. They, like, the, that's kind of the infamous story is that Keith saw Mick with a stack of records and also loved those records and just, like, that's how they met. So if he wasn't holding those records on that day, they might not have ever that's like reconnected. So wild. But yeah, that's how they reconnected after all of those years. A chance encounter on a train station because of Mick Jagger's records, which is just insane. Keith and Mick started to play together pretty frequently, with Dick Taylor coming over to join in as well. Soon a couple of other musicians joined in and they started calling themselves the Blues Boys. So they dropped the more annoying part. Good. In 1962, they heard about a place called Ealing Jazz Club in West London and about a local blues band called Alex Corners Blues Incorporated. The Blues Boys... That's a good name. Yeah. I like that name. The Blues Boys sent some early recordings to Alex Corner, who was impressed, and eventually they made the trip to the Ealing Jazz Club to see Blues Incorporated play. The Blues Incorporated... Then, at that time, Blues Incorporated included a guitarist, Brian Jones, and a drummer, Charlie Watts. We're skipping back in time. (laughs) Is that why you want it? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Brian Jones had had a wild life, even up to this point. He was born in 1942 and, as a kid, suffered a bad respiratory infection that left him with asthma for the rest of his life. His mother was a piano teacher, and his father was an engineer. His parents loved music, and he quickly found a love for jazz and started playing the saxophone before his parents got him an acoustic guitar. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I assume they're like, just stop with the saxophone. (laughs) Here, play this slightly quieter instrument. He was a really good student, but hated discipline. I don't know why I put this word in here. It's hard for me to say. Rigidity of school life. That was cute. Thanks. He was very intelligent, but hated authority and conformity. So his teachers didn't really like him all that much. He was neurodivergent. Probably. When he was 16 or 17, his girlfriend got pregnant. Despite him encouraging her to have an abortion, she kept the baby and gave it up for adoption. That resulting scandal basically caused him to drop out of school and leave home. Aww. He started to wander around Scandinavia, living on the streets and playing his guitar for money. He eventually ran out of money and had to return to England. After his summer in Scandinavia in 1959, he met a married woman and had a one-night stand that resulted in another baby. He's fertile as hell. (laughs) So he's now 17 years old. Or he should just learn how to use a condom. Yeah. I don't know if that was as prevalent back then. 
But he's now when seven. Where are condoms from? When are condoms from? Let's ask Google. Continue. He is now 17 years old with two illegitimate children, though he never knew about the second one. Because since she was already married, they just kind of kept it and raised it as mm, their own. I call BS. Rubber condoms appeared, blah, 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 created around 1858. Okay. Maybe they just weren't super. Maybe they hadn't caught on yet. Let's see. A short history of the condom. Oh, no. What? This is important. This is already going to be a long episode. Well, I mean, we're moving through it. That's fine. You can derail us a little bit, I guess. This is important history. Is it? Yeah. You can continue. I'm listening. I don't believe you. I am listening. (laughs) Oh, those were rubber. And they were expensive. Oh, but they were immoral, so they got banned. Yeah, there you go. Because that was the big thing. Catholics didn't believe in any sort of contraception. So they probably didn't really catch on in more Catholic regions. Which I guess I don't know if England was at this point. Yeah, but the condom business really hit its stride in the 1930s. Okay, cool. I mean, he's also 17 years old, so... 17-year-olds can and should wear condoms. Yeah, but I'm saying he's probably not the most responsible person. All right, are we ready to go back to poor Mr. Brian Jones? He was accepted into art college before the offer was rescinded after someone wrote to the school to warn them about how irresponsible he was. Aww. In 1961, he had another child with his girlfriend, Pat. Apparently, he was a somewhat attentive father this time around and sold his record collection to try and provide for Pat and the baby. Aww. But all he wanted to do was play in bands, so he didn't make a ton of money. Like he didn't. The idea of working and conforming to a schedule didn't really fit with him. By the early 60s, after playing with a few different groups, he started playing with Blues Incorporated, where he'd eventually meet Keith Richards and Mick Jagger. All right, we're going back in time. (laughs) Meanwhile, Charlie Watts was born in London in 1941. He showed an aptitude for music and took an interest in drums. But he didn't have a snare. He took a banjo he had and put it on a stand, using that as a snare drum. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know how exactly that worked, but it's innovative. I wonder what that would sound like. He attended an art school and, after graduating, worked as a graphic designer, but still played drums occasionally at clubs and local coffee shops. He mostly played jazz, and the first time he was asked to play rhythm and blues, he said he didn't know what it was. So we're like, the rest of these guys were coming up with Little Richard and Muddy Waters. He's just like straight jazz all the way. In 1961, he met Alexis Corner, who asked him to join Blues Incorporated. At the time, Charlie was on his way to work in Denmark as a graphic designer, but eventually returned to London and accepted the offer the next year. It's funny that graphic design is such a, like, Yeah. I don't think of that as being something that they would be doing. I think it's mostly at this point for advertising agencies. like logos and stuff. Yeah, and also, like, designing ads in magazines because magazine, yeah. the magazine industry is probably really popping at this point. Uh, he, played with, he played with Blues Incorporated at night and worked at an advertising company during the day. Through playing with Alexis Corner and the Blues Incorporated, he met Brian Jones, Mick Jagger, and Keith Richards. So that's four of them now coming together. You remembering them all? No. Try and give me their names. Mick Jagger, Charlie Day... <laughs> Brian Mick 
That's three. There was two. Two mix. Dick. Rick. I'm There's okay, another so one. So you have Mick Jagger, Charlie Day, Brian, and Mick. <laughs> or Dick or Rick. I don't know. There was another one. No Keith Richards, which is a Keith is Brian. <laughs> Keith is Brian. As opposed to the actual Brian, Brian Jones. Wait, there's another Brian? There's one Brian. <laughs> We've only talked about four people. Yes. One of them Mick is Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, Brian Jones, and Charlie Watts. There was another Taylor. Yeah, Dick Taylor, but he's not in Dick. the he, he's not in the band. Oh. He wasn't a member of I I mean he might have been like an ancillary member, but he's not like founding member of the Rolling Stones. Okay. Anyway, here is a song by the Blues Incorporated featuring Charlie Watts on drums. I don't think Brian Jones was in this. Oh, that was an intro. Real snare drum this time? Yeah, probably at this point. I think that was just when he was a kid. Gonna make it pretty women. Old John Bunchout. Sounds like them. Alright, well, that's Blues Incorporated. Give you kind of an idea of their style. And it's very different from the Rolling Stones. So after meeting the rest of the band, Mick and Keith started to play with Blues Incorporated a bit, but then Brian Jones decided that he wanted to start his own band, and he pulled Mick and Keith with him. They wanted to focus on playing a strictly Chicago blues-style sound. That summer, Ian Cormer pulled Blues Incorporated from their residency at the London Marquee Club due to a scheduling conflict, and he suggested Brian Jones's new group as a replacement, even though... Brian Jones's band still didn't have a name at that time. So they took inspiration from a Muddy Water song and they named themselves The Rolling Stones and premiered at the Marquee Club on July 12th, 1962. And it's just the three of them? I think the three official members. The lineup wasn't quite what it would become. Along with Brian Jones, Mick Jagger, and Keith Richards, who are kind of considered like the core three of the classic Stones, they had Dick Taylor, on bass, Ian Stewart on piano, and a guy named Mick Avery on drums. How many Micks? <laughs> you don't really need to remember Mick Avery much. What happened I to Charlie Stewart, Day? He hasn't. He's still playing with Blues Incorporated okay. at this point. He hasn't joined the Stones. Because keep in mind, he's, he's a jazz guy, and the Stones want to play classic blues. So he's like, I'm doing jazz. Through the next couple of years, the Stones started to gain a following and embarked on a tour of the UK playing classic blues songs from Howlin' Wolf, Bo Diddley, and Muddy Waters. They also went through a few different lineup changes. Dick Taylor left weeks after their first show and was replaced by a guy named Bill Wyman. Mick Avery also left. He would later join a band called The Kinks, so I think he ended up doing all right. 
And while they had another drummer who wasn't really working for them, they spent time convincing Charlie Watts to leave Blues Incorporated and join them. So that was when the main lineup kind of stuck. Mick Jagger on vocals, Keith Richards and Brian Jones on guitar, Charlie Watts on drums, and Bill Wyman on bass and keys. That's like the classic founding Stones lineup. Are you going to remember all those names? No. (laughs) One of them is Bill, and I think that's a very not Rolling Stones name. That's fair. By 1964, they gained such a following in the UK that they were actually voted the most popular band in England, even above the Beatles. They signed a new manager who had previously worked with the Beatles. The Beatles recommended their old manager work for the Stones. Like, they kind of, that's how Mm -hmm. they got connected. Mm -hmm. They also got a residency at a place called the Crawdaddy Club in London that really heightened their following. In 1963, the Stones released their first single after signing with Decca Records, which was a cover of a Chuck Berry song called Come On. You want to hear their first single? Yeah. Here's the Stones. Everything's wrong since me and my baby parted. All day long I'm walking because I couldn't get my car started. Laid up from a job and I can't board to check it. I wish somebody come along and run into it and wreck it. Come on. Me, my baby party, come on. I'm taking this. I can't get started. Come on. I can't the song was a minor hit, reaching number 21 in the charts. They released a cover of the Beatles' I Want to Be Your Man that reached number 15 in the charts. Their manager, a guy named Oldham, Oldham, I don't know how to say it, but it's spelt Oldham, has said that he created the image of the Rolling Stones as the bad boy counterparts to the Beatles, but that's since been disputed. I think they were already the bad boys. Yeah, probably. Bill Wyman said, quote, Our reputation and image as the bad boys came later, completely there accidentally. Because they are. Yeah. Oldham never did engineer it. He simply exploited it exhaustively. End quote. Which, like, I'm more liable to believe that. But whatever the cause, they were seen as the more rebellious rock and rollers to the Beatles' kind of, like, clean-cut image. This rivalry, which never really existed between the band members, only in the eyes of the press and the listeners catapulted the stones to popularity in america it was kind of funny like off the Mm -hmm. they were just good friends off the out of the press eye but in the press eyes like oh these bands are at each other's throats goodness gracious the media in 1964 they released their first album which was primarily cover songs wow surprising (laughs) is it no oldham saw that by doing covers they were limiting their potential appeal So Mick and Keith started to write songs together, but the early ones mostly sucked. (laughs) They toured America for the first time in 1964, but it was kind of a disaster. (laughs) The only good thing that came from it was that they got to record at Chess Records and got to meet a bunch of their idols. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, We talked about it a while ago. You probably don't remember. Chess Records was like the big Chicago record label where all the blues legends came through. 
Their, this recording session led to the band's first number one in England, another cover called It's All Over Now. Here is It's All Over Now. I think they're performing it in this video. all over now their first big hit 1965 started what would be considered the height of their popularity their second album reached number one in the charts and number five in the american charts they had their first non-cover song reach number one in the uk they then they had their first international number one hit with a song called satisfaction the iconic guitar riff that is like so closely tied to satisfaction was actually supposed to be a sort of placeholder and a guide for a horn section that was never <laughs> added. That's awesome. Here is, we, I think we all know it, but here's Satisfaction. What was the first um, non-cover song to hit the chart? Satisfaction. Yeah. Hey. Sorry, I guess I just misunderstood. No, I mean, I wrote that poorly because I don't even know if that's true or not. Satisfaction. What that? happens after he drives in his car? He can't get no satisfaction. After the success of that song, their career just like skyrocketed, just kept going up and up. In 1966, they decided to respond to the Beatles albums that had taken a more artistic turn and released an album of all original songs called Aftermath. It was full of many different musical influences that Brian Jones initiated including a heavy sitar-based track called Paint It Black. They released their most pop-based album in 1967, but then had a period of controversy that caused them to step away from the limelight for a bit. What happened in the period of controversy? I think we're... Yeah, we're, we'll get to that. But first, they performed a racy song called Let's Spend the Night Together on the Ed Sullivan Show. Whoa! That is not Ed Sullivan show appropriate. <laughs> Mick had to mumble the title when he sang it That's or funny. else they'd be banned in America. Oh my god. Here is that performance. Also it's kind of important to note that at this point Mick and Keith are writing the songs but Brian Jones is kind of seen as the leader like he's the musical direction establisher. 
that jacket is I was literally <laughs> going to say that. He looks so unhappy. I mean, this is, they're like pop friendly songs, and he's like a traditional jazz drummer, so he's probably not thrilled with the musical direction they're taking right now. All right, that's the Stones and the Ed Sullivan show. Every time I see him, I'm like, oh my God, his mouth. It's <laughs> probably what a lot of girls had thought about. <laughs> Shortly after that, Mick, Keith, and Brian were arrested for drug possession. What? Also, Keith stole Brian Jones's girlfriend, so <laughs> their relationship was kind of at a little bit of a rocky patch. But despite all of that, the band continued to release albums and tour Europe. They released an album that, despite doing really well in the charts, was panned by critics for being a loose impersonation of Sgt. Pepper's. During the recording of this album, they parted ways with Oldham, their manager. And after this one album, which was heavily psychedelic, they switched back to heavier rock and roll. So they had a period of a few albums where they were just kind of like experimenting with their sound and trying different things. And then after this one, they were like, let's just go back to what we're good at. Their next album was delayed for five months because of its inappropriate cover art. Oh my God. Which was a picture of graffiti in a public restroom. What? <laughs> oh, man. If they yep. could fast forward to now. <laughs> oh, gosh. During this album, Brian Jones was only sporadically involved with the band. His drug use became an issue, and he was unable to get a U.S. visa. On June 9th, 1969, Brian Jones officially left the band that he had founded. That's my birthday. Yep. Well, that's also the day Brian Jones left the Rolling Stones. Less than a month later, he was found drowned in his swimming pool, which was a death that was officially ruled an accident, but has been the subject of quite a bit of speculation since. Mm -hmm. Apparently, his death happened while a group of friends were hanging out and, quote, out of their minds. The investigators wanted to pursue a manslaughter case, but because the initial investigation had been so bad, they were sort of forced into covering it up. Oh, my God. The main suspect is a builder who was there. Brian paid him to work on his house, but the builder wanted more money for it. But that's deeper story. Don't really have a lot of time to go into that. The important point is Brian Jones is now out of the out of the Rolling Stones. And, you could have said out the of world. the picture. <laughs> <laughs> the Stones now auditioned new guitarist and landed on Mick Taylor, who helped redefine their sound in the early 70s. They started their first American tour in three years and broke attendance records, being billed as, quote, the greatest rock and roll band. However, the tour struck a major sour note by ending on one of the worst days for American music. They played a free show at the Altamont Motor Speedway. The show was supposed to be kind of like Woodstock, but was really terribly organized. 
The Hells Angels biker gang were hired as security, and they ended up stabbing and killing a fan. Good God. After that, the Stones kind of stepped back from the spotlight again, since a lot of people said that their music incited the violence at Altamont. Oh my gosh. That concert is kind of seen as the end of the Summer of Love movement that was happening in San Francisco at the time. Uh, This song, called Sympathy for the Devil, is the one that people said incited the violence at Altamont. People will just give any excuse to not say, hey, this... this Let's not hire the Hells Angels. A murderer. Incited violence, apparently. I don't know. I was vibing. (laughs) I'm feeling mellow and not violent. In 1971, the Stones formed their own record label that became a subsidiary of Atlantic. In 72, they released Exile on Main Street. That wasn't initially well-received, but has since become one of their most distinctive and loved records. It's like the one everyone points to as one of their best. After Exile, the band started to splinter a bit. Mick focused his attention on being a celebrity, and Keith sunk further into drug addiction. And since Brian Jones was no longer around, those were kind of like, they were the Rolling Stones to a lot of people. By the end of the 70s, they were mostly cleaned up and commercially successful again. After an arrest for heroin possession in Canada, Keith supposedly got clean. Quote, unquote. Or at least a little bit more clean. Clean enough. (laughs) Their replacement guitarist, Mick Taylor, I think, left the band and was replaced by Ronnie Wood, who is still a member of the Rolling Stones today. The end of the 70s was kind of their commercial peak. Their tours were shattering records and earning millions of dollars. By this point, the tours kind of overshadowed the recordings. What you looking up? You said today. Are they still? Yeah, they're still a band today. An established band? Yeah. We're talking about it. We're getting <gasps> Charlie Watts, they just announced his death. No, they announced it like a, earlier today. Okay, well, my article said 25 minutes ago, so. Oh. They're distracted again. I'm it's on it's it's on topic. We were getting there. <laughs> we were ge- you wrote this forever ago. You were going yeah, to I was going to talk about it though. Sorry to steal your thunder. <laughs> I just was like, "Oh my gosh." Oh, he looks like a cute old man. 
Mick Jagger looks scary. Okay, continue. You're not listening, though. I'm listening. You barely pay attention anyway, I'm let alone listening. when you're reading your phone. I'm not, not reading. I'm looking at pictures of him. Oh, my God. He's so cute. <laughs> Look at him. Yeah. Cute 80-year-old drummer. Okay, I'm listening. Starting in 1983, Mick and Keith began a feud that kind of stilted the band for a while. They were torn on which direction to take the group. Mick wanted to follow modern trends, and Keith wanted them to stay true to their roots. Mick also released a solo album and refused to tour with the Stones so he could tour that album instead. Keith was furious that Mick made the Stones a second choice. During this period, there were many rumors that the band had broken up. Keith decided to make his own solo album that actually outperformed Mick's second <laughs> solo album. So the two reunited in 1988 oh with another Stones album. None of the albums of this period were really distinct. They were all kind of indistinguishable. Keith referred to this period in the late 80s as World War III. Okay. <laughs> the Rolling Stones are still a band, still making music, and still playing shows. But I think that's where I'm going to leave this, because it's kind of like way past the scope of what we're talking about. This episode is long enough, and frankly, I'm less interested in their current stuff. I prefer to talk about their rise to success and what that looked like. I'm interested in their current stuff. When was the last time they put out an album? It's been a while. It's more they're more like a touring band at this point. Like they're like they're playing Nissan Stadium in a little bit. Or Bridgetown, I can't remember. Is Living in the Heart of Love a revamped song? I don't know. Because that's from August 19th. Oh, I have no idea. I don't know what they're doing. I don't keep up with the stones much. But, yeah, they're like, I think, because like, you don't hear the Rolling Stones new music played on the radio or anything like that. Like, they're mostly, a, their tours are still insane. They still put on a great show. They have amazing set design. And... Obviously, they have a lot of classic songs, so they're like kind of a touring band. It's a previously unreleased track. Wow, cool. And I was going to say that at this point, it was announced earlier today as we're recording this, not as you're listening to this, that Charlie Watts had passed away. I don't think they announced from what, but I know he had like throat cancer in mm. 2004, so it might have been that coming back i don't know i also saw that apparently during like the height of their success he sunk pretty far into drug mm -hmm. problems and he said he was like so addicted to heroin that even keith richards told him you need to straighten this out <laughs> for keith richards to say that about your drug problem is probably means you're just in way too deep mm. Yeah, that's the Rolling Stones. Yeah, they didn't announce, um, at least from what I'm seeing, they didn't yeah. announce, like, why, because they're trying to, like, respect privacy and yeah. everything. It's the second rock legend that passed away this week. But the Rolling Stones were and still are a dominant force in the world of music. Depending on who you ask, they might be the greatest rock and roll band of all time. That's the Rolling Stones. This was way shorter than I thought it was going to be. 
it's almost like we should just do it and not worry about how long it's going to be. I think I might have been mixing this one up with the Beatles because we talk about the Beatles next. And the Beatles one is long because they're the Beatles. All right. Any closing thoughts you have on the Stones? I can't believe that they released a new song like a week ago. Yeah. And a member passed away on the day of recording. That's the only time this has ever happened to us. Hope. Yet. Yeah, hopefully it's the only time it ever will happen. Yeah, I don't want to repeat that. That's wild. Oh, that's kind of sad. Yeah. R.A.P. Charlie Day. <laughs> What's his name? Watts. Yeah, Charlie Watts. I'm going to forget that. Do you? Can you run through the, the core five? Mick, Charlie, Brian, Ryan... <laughs> Mill. Bill. Yeah. You always forget Keith Richards. <laughs> I don't know how you do that. <laughs> He's like one of the two. <laughs> it's a gift. <laughs> okay. Thanks for listening. Hopefully we'll be back next week, but I highly doubt it. We'll be back eventually and we'll talk about the Beatles. Can't board and check it. I wish somebody come along and run into it and wreck it. Come on. This is me, my baby party. Come on. I can't get started. Come on. I can't afford to check it. I wish somebody come along and run into it and wreck it. And